you to take your Bibles out if you have a Bible. If you don't, you can find one in the seat back in front of you. And we're going to look at Romans 5, 12 to 21, the text that Phil read for us earlier. If you're using the, the seat Bibles, uh, you probably find that around page 798 or pretty close to that. Romans 5, 12 to 21, page 798-ish. One thing that no one gets to choose is what family they're born into. I was blessed to be born into a great family, and yet I remember as a kid that there were some other families that I was jealous of. The, The kids had more toys than I did. They lived in a fancier house. They got to do more fun stuff than our family got to do. And then there were other families that I was glad not to be a part of. They were always bickering, they were criticizing each other, or the parents were very controlling and heavy-handed with the kids, more than they needed to be. Recently, our family watched the movie October Sky. Um, It's about four boys who live in a coal mining town, a poor town in West Virginia, and, and they develop a passion for building rockets. And the boys bond together as friends as they overcome great opposition to enter and eventually to win the National Science Fair for the rocketry project, which makes it possible for them to get college scholarships and escape the dead-end jobs in the coal mines that they were facing. And and when the boys are are working on their project in school, they're they're all for one and and they're one for all. But um, then there's this one scene when you realize that outside of school, it's a different situation. Because one boy comes from a comfortable working class home in town, and another, we learn, lives in the woods in a rundown shack in poverty. And, and there's this scene where we see him studying by a lamp at night in a bedroom that he shares with three other siblings who are all sleeping in one bed while he's still up trying to study by this little lamp. And, and you compare these boys, and, and it, it's, it, it's a shocking contrast, and it doesn't seem fair that one boy lives this one existence, and another boy lives such a different existence. But the reality is that no one gets to choose the family that they're born into, or the ethnic group, or the nation that they're born into. I remember being in college in 1991, right after communism fell, and going on a mission trip to Romania. We started in Germany where we had a training conference and then our team drove through Austria and then we crossed into Hungary and then into Romania. And the differences at that time as as we entered these until recently communist countries were so noticeable. And it struck me that there were children being born and growing up just miles apart from one another and because of a border their lives were so significantly different. But that's just the way it is because no one gets to choose the country that they're born into. Well, that reality is the backdrop for today's passage. The Apostle Paul, who wrote the letter to the church in Rome that we're looking at, is painting a picture in this passage of the family, the race, the nation that we are all born into. It's the human family. The family we're all born into, whether we like it or not. (laughs) So what do you think of the human family? 
Well, if you step back and, and you look at humanity, both around the world and throughout history, you could point to some pretty amazing qualities and, and also some pretty horrendous qualities. On the one hand, we can think of all the loving acts that, that are done every day. Parents sacrificing for their children. Spouses being faithful to their partners. Soldiers giving their lives for their countrymen. Neighbors helping neighbors or even perfect strangers. We could also think of all of our amazing accomplishments. Putting a man on the moon, eradicating smallpox and other diseases, building the Sistine Chapel, the Empire State Building, the Great Wall of China, learning about the composition of distant stars and the details of single atoms. On the other hand, we could also think about terrible atrocities promulgated by humankind, including the one that we've been thinking about this, this past weekend in Kenya. From, from genocide and, and terrorism to, to slavery and to apartheid, from, from the Holocaust to school shootings. Every day, even in so-called civilized countries like ours, children go to bed hungry. They, they get abused by those who should love them. They're caught in the middle of, of mommy yelling at daddy and daddy moving out and, and the family, the adults that they need and they love and they depend on breaking apart. And these tragedies aren't far away, are they? They happen to us. They happen to our neighbors, to people that we know. The human family, depending on, on how you want to look at us, is a wonder and a marvel and... A terrible tragedy. And the Apostle Paul, who writes this letter, sees both sides. He sees both perspectives. But here, he's going to focus on the negative side. And the reason he does this is, is that he doesn't want us to settle. He doesn't want us to settle for the way things are when he knows that things could be so much better. And so he focuses on the negative side to remind us, to, to shake us, to, to wake us up. Have you ever known someone who lived in a really dysfunctional family? But they were so used to it because it was all that they knew. And you just wanted to show them it doesn't have to be that way. Come on, wake up. Family could be, it should be so much better. That's what Paul wants us to see about the human family. So he points out some negative aspects of the human family. First off, he uses the word sin a lot. He repeats this word, I count 11 times in my translation. And then if you add the words trespass and breaking a command and disobedience, I count eight more times. Here Paul is talking about all the, the negative qualities of, of humans that I've just mentioned and more. And Paul says that, that this all began with our spiritual father, Adam. If you're familiar with the opening few chapters of the Bible, you know that in them we meet the first family head, Adam, who got the human family rolling in a certain direction. Have you ever noticed that often the sins of the fathers get passed along to the next generations? Whether it's an anger problem or an addiction or, or whatever, often the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. And so the, the first father, Adam, had this approach to life. That, that he knew better than God. That, that he was going to make his own choices, be his own man, make his own choices about right and wrong, so he could figure out things for himself. 
And so the Bible recounts that Adam led the human family into sin and disobedience, into trespassing the good boundaries that God had set for them to keep them safe and allow them to prosper and flourish. And then Adam's son Cain, as the story goes on, came after him. He followed in his father's footsteps. He wound up murdering his brother Abel. And on it, on it went from there. Uh, Billy Joel sings in, in one of his songs after he lists a whole bunch of sorry human episodes. He sings, we didn't start the fire. It's been always burning since the world been turning. Well, the second tragedy that Paul mentions in, in relation to the human family besides sin is, is death. God had warned Adam, the Bible tells, that, that if, if Adam sinned, if he ignored God's direction and he chose to make life work his own way, that it would lead to death. And so Paul summarizes in verse 12, sin entered the world and death through sin. And so, verse 14, death reigned. Six times Paul repeats, death, death, death. This world runs down, our lives run down, all life slides toward death, and death ultimately devours all of us. Not to mention all the senseless premature death, murder, war, famine and starvation, some of which could be alleviated if we had the political or moral will to deal with it. Ultimately, despite all of the good and all of the beauty which we experience in this world, death has the final word. Death claims us all. Well, Paul isn't done because listen third to the other words he uses to describe the human family. Sin, death, and then judgment. Condemnation, verse 16. Condemnation again, verse 18. What Paul is saying here is that God holds all humanity responsible for the state of this world. Now, wait a minute, you might say, how could God hold all of us responsible? After all, we didn't get to choose what family we got born into. <laughs> if I got born into this messed up, dysfunctional human family, it's not my fault. What choice did I have? Well, here's the thing, to use an analogy. It's true that some kids grow up in families and neighborhoods that are infested with, with poverty and crime, with abuse and, and neglect and, and drug use. That, that may be all that they know. And so we can understand that they have a lot of influences working against them. And, and that excuse may hold some water while they're children. But when we grow up, and we start acting out the ways of our parents, at some point we can't blame it on our parents anymore. We're responsible for the choices that we make. And so if a judge is sentencing a 26-year-old in court who's stolen or who's assaulted someone, can that young man get out of the punishment by claiming, well, my dad, your honor, and my uncle, they did it too. In fact, it's all I've known, so you can't really blame me. No, ultimately justice holds us responsible for our own choices, for the actions we take, the choices we make. And if God is going to govern the universe justly, God is going to hold us accountable for the choices that we make, even if we did learn most of our ways from the family we came from. So Paul points out that for all the good there is in the human family, he says, stop and notice what's wrong with it. Sin, death, judgment and condemnation from God. 
Would you like it if that stuff wasn't in your family? Would you like it if there was another family you could join instead? A different kind of family. But, but here's the problem. There is no other human family. There's only one human family and we're all a part of it. So what hope is there? Well, are you ready for the good news? It reminds me of a scene from Lord of the Rings uh, at the very end of that story. At the great last battle, evil is overwhelming everyone in Middle-earth. Many brave and noble friends perish in the battle. And yet in the midst of it all, two of the heroes, two small hobbits named Sam and Frodo, against all odds, manage to destroy the ring of power on which the evil depends. They cast it back into the fires of Mount Doom. And then in all the darkness and the tumult of of war and the erupting volcano and their exhaustion and their despair, Sam and Frodo go unconscious thinking that they're finished. But sometime later, Sam wakes up and he's in a lovely wooded fragrant place with his friends around him, including his loving mentor Gandalf, who asks him how he is. And Tolkien writes, But Sam Sam lay back and started with open mouth, and for a moment, between bewilderment and great joy, he could not answer. At last, he gasped, Gandalf, I thought you were dead. But then I thought I was dead myself. Is everything sad going to come untrue? The good news of Easter is that, yes, in fact, everything sad is coming untrue. And specifically, Paul says in our passage, it is coming untrue because through Jesus Christ, God has begun a brand new human family. This family began when Jesus Christ rose from the grave on the first day of a new creation as the first father of a brand new humanity. Now, if if Paul used words like sin and death and judgment to describe the old family, How does he describe the new family? Well, first, he uses the word gift. Four times he uses that word, gift, 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 gift. In verse 17, Paul tells us that that gift is the gift of righteousness. And if you've been here in the past weeks, as we've been working our way through the book of Romans, then you'll remember that righteousness means to be in right relationship with God. To be righteous means that you've fulfilled all that your relationship with God requires. It means that you've obeyed God perfectly, that you've worshipped God appropriately, that you've kept God at the center of your life, that you've lived your life according to God's good plans for you. But of course, Paul told us nobody in Adam's family had done that. Like Adam, we, we've all sinned against God. We've neglected God. At times, we've ignored God. We've, we've trespassed his boundaries. We've disobeyed him. That's why humanity faces judgment and condemnation from God. But things are different in the new human family that Jesus Christ has begun. Because to the new family, God gives a gift. And what's the gift? It's righteousness. It's God choosing to treat us and to consider us to be in right relationship with him again. To to treat us as if we've fulfilled all of our obligations to God, 
not because we actually have, but because God is willing to treat us as if we have as a free gift. And to be a part of this new human family is to have received this wonderful gift of righteousness. Second, Paul uses the word grace to describe this family. Six times he says, grace, grace, grace. Life in this new family is all about grace. It's not about performing. It's not about measuring up. It's about grace. So what's grace? Well, grace is related to gift. Grace is about getting something you didn't earn. It's about getting better than what you deserve. It's about God giving you undeserved acceptance and and pouring out undeserved love, undeserved favor, undeserved blessings on you. Look at the other phrases Paul uses to describe life in this new family. Verse 15, overflow. Verse 17, how much more and abundant provision. Verse 20, increase all the more. The gift, the grace available in this new family is lavish. It's generous. It's in full supply because that's what God is like. There's more than enough to go around. There's nobody in this new human family who has done anything so bad that God's grace won't forgive it. There's no sin that members of this new family have or can commit which is any match for the abundant flow of God's grace. In this new family, God's grace never gets outmatched. It never falls short. It never runs out. Grace in this family is lavishly given. It's lavishly shared. It's lavishly received. How do we know? Because of what we celebrate at Easter. Listen carefully. Earlier in Romans, we saw that Jesus, God's own son, came down to this earth, stepping into our shoes as a human being, as a part of the human family. And as a member of the human family, Jesus took on himself all the sin, all the death, all the judgment and condemnation of the human family. And Jesus bore it on himself at the end of his life onto the cross, getting nailed there, which is right up there as one of the most horrible, gruesome ways to die. And Jesus died. And all the sin of humanity, all the death was piled on him, and he died. Though Jesus was a righteous man, a good man, a man who didn't deserve such a fate, sin and judgment and death overwhelmed Jesus and overcame him and destroyed him. That's what we remembered last Friday, on Good Friday. But what do we celebrate this morning? We celebrate that death could not keep its grip on Jesus. Death could not win the battle to keep him. No, God's grace was more powerful than our sin. More powerful than God's judgment. More powerful than death which held Jesus down. And so Jesus burst back to life. God's grace overflowed. It increased all the more, being so powerful, so abundant, that no sin and not even death could overcome it. And so now Jesus lives as the first father of a new family alive in a brand new creation. Jesus did not come back from death, back into the same old human family, living in the same old creation. No, rather he passed through death 
to a new and eternal life on the other side in a new and everlasting creation. And so Paul concludes in verse 21, just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Eternal life. That's the third blessing of this new family. No one in this new family ultimately ever dies. Sure, we like Jesus may pass through death, but only to continue an unending life on the other side, an eternal life in a new family, in a new creation. So which family are you a part of? The old family, Adam's family, or the new family, Christ's family? We're all born into Adam's family, but we're all invited to step over and to join the new family, Christ's family. How do you do that? Well, Paul has already told us earlier in Romans that we do it by putting our faith in Christ. By believing that that Jesus died for, for our sins, for our death, for our judgment, and that Jesus rose again. And then by trusting Jesus, by, by asking him to adopt us into his new family and letting, his, him, letting him father us and, and teach us as to how members of this new family uh, are to live and um, to live a life of grace and a life of gift in this new family and this new creation. And if you'd like to know more about how to join that family, I'd love to talk to you after the service. But let me close now with some more of what happened when Sam awoke to everything sad becoming untrue. What's happened to the world, he asked Gandalf. A great shadow has departed, said Gandalf. And then he laughed, and the, mu- the sound was like music or water in a parched land. And as he listened the thought came to Sam that he had not heard laughter, the pure sound of merriment for days upon days without count. It fell upon his ears like the echo of all the joys he had ever known. But he himself burst into tears. Then as sweet rain will pass down a wind of spring and the sun will shine out the clearer, his tears ceased and his laughter welled up and laughing he sprang from his bed. How do I feel, he cried. Well, I don't know how to say it. I I feel, I feel, he waved his arms in the air. I feel like spring after winter and the sun on the leaves and like trumpets and harps and all the songs I have ever heard. And for those of us who have joined the new family, that is what we celebrate at Easter.